Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast. The True Wealth Project podcast is all about how to give your wealth the meaning. Join us as we are exploring the areas of financial wealth, impact or purpose, and succession or legacy. My name is Sasha Janssen, and I am your host for today's show. Today, I want to welcome Steve Legler. Steve is a family legacy advisor based in Montreal, Canada. He works with families on their intergenerational wealth transitions, concentrating on the areas of family harmony and family governance. He acts as a facilitator, coach, and mediator. Steve just recently released his second book called Interdependent Wealth, How Families Systems Theory Illuminates Successful Intergenerational Wealth Transitions, which is really all about the importance of involving the whole family in preparing wealth transitions, the importance of family alignment, and how to get family governance started and, and, and executed in the first place. So without further ado, let's just get started. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast. Hi, Sasha. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Steve, I, I introduced you as the coach you are today, but please, uh, can you give us a, a, a summary of who you are and, and more importantly, how you became to be who you are today? Sure. I, I will give you a... Uh a quick recap of how I got to be in the position I'm in, which, uh, as with many people, is, is not a straight line, but there's a lot of little crooked uh, segments to it that, that got me to where I am. I was born in Montreal to uh, an immigrant entrepreneur. So I have two older sisters. I was the first son. This was the 1960s. It was a steel fabrication business. So I was immediately dubbed my father's successor because I was going to be the one who took over his business that he had started uh, shortly before I was born. Mm -hmm. um, so that became some of my first memories were my father telling me, telling me, not asking, telling me <laughs> that I was going to be taking over his business. So I lived the first few decades of my life with that understanding, with that expectation ahead of me. And so for the first few decades, as I said, I just did everything that was expected of me, working for the business during the summers, going to school and studying business, starting straight out of my, after my bachelor's degree, straight into the business, going to do my MBA to come back to the business again. Mm -hmm. And then a funny thing happened along the way is the market changed and we ended up making the decision to sell the business. Oh, okay. And so here I was straight back with my MBA, getting ready to take over eventually a business of 300 employees. And uh, within six months, we were down to four employees. Wow. And that was a change. Two of us were named Steve Legler. And so Steve Legler Sr. had recently bought a farm for, as a hobby. And so he moved off to his farm and left me with what we would now call a family office, a small yeah. family office. Yeah. Uh, this was 1991. There was not a lot of knowledge of what a family office was. Okay. And uh, least of all, I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but I ended up doing that for a while, uh, longer than I care to admit sometimes. And then about six, seven years ago, I stumbled into a program in Toronto, which is about five-hour drive down the road from me in Montreal, called Family Enterprise Advisor. Mm -hmm. This was a program that was put on, actually came out of the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, and it was designed for people who work with family businesses, typically people who work for banks, people who are accountants, insurance salespeople, investment mm -hmm. managers. And, and this was bringing these people together who, who work with families to teach them about what makes family businesses tick yeah. and 
ways that they can serve those clients better. So here I am in a room with 20 some people that have that profile and I have nothing in common with them. However, the people at the front of the room who were teaching us what to do with families, they, they were talking about working with families on their values, working on their visions, having family retreats, talking about succession, talking about family governance. And my eyes opened up wide and I was like, wow, I didn't know that, that doing that was like a thing. Yeah. And so I finally had my calling. Here I was, I, I was 48 at the time, and I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so from that point on, I just jumped into the deep end of this, and I've been writing blogs about it, writing books about it, working with families, uh, speaking about it at conferences, and that's what I do. And I'm very happy to have finally found something that uh, ignites the passion in me. Okay, so 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 basically, I, I, are you still uh, working uh, in in the family office as such? Uh, insofar as you could call it a family office, so I, I am the. I'm the president of the family holding company. Yeah. I'm the chief investment officer, which means I select the investment managers. Yeah. I have the annual family meetings with my sisters and my mother and our outside advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, but it's not really a full-time job. It does yeah. provide me a base of income that has allowed me to do the legwork to get started as a consultant working for other families, yeah. because as you can imagine, you don't just decide one day, I'm going to do this, hang up a shingle, and then you have a lineup outside your door. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, does it? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, it, it, I, I think it's what, what makes you very interesting as a, as a person to have a conversation with about these topics is, is, is the fact that you, you, know, you know both sides. You're basically, you act as an advisor, but you also know the real thing. You know what it is like to be born into a family business. You know, you know what it's like to be managing a family office and and and, and think about um, family governance itself, etc. Um, so I think that makes you, in, in in a way, of course, much more authentic than than a lot of the other advisors that are out in the field. As as you said, you know the the accountants and and the and the uh, lawyers, etc., who 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 basically try to understand how how families tick and business families tick in particular. I mean, that's a, a special breed in itself, isn't it? Yes. Um, so, I also forgot to mention that I married into a business family along the way. Ah, yeah. My wife's family also had a business and had a liquidity event in mm-hmm. 2000, 2001. Okay. She has her siblings. Her father's still alive. There are issues there that I have witnessed from a front row seat of how their family has dealt with their wealth and the mm-hmm. upcoming transition. And there are good things and bad things in my family and her family. And I've been able to see them all and benefit from that experience when I'm serving other families. Yeah. I mean, to, to what extent has that, that situation uh, uh, driven your decision to, uh, to become a coach, mentor and, and mediator in the field? I mean, was it more to do with, with the fact that you were faced with these issues yourself and had to think about, you know, how do we organize all this? And, or was it just your, your passion that was ignited by, by your teachers, basically? I, I like that question because it's, it's bringing me back to when I was sitting in that classroom and the thing that, that lit me up was, oh, my God, these things that these the people teaching the program were talking about that they have done with families. And I was thinking about all the missed opportunities 
in both my family and my wife's family and in other people's families that I know have family businesses of things that, oh my God, if someone would have come to us at a certain point in time Mm -hmm. and suggested we do this, or if someone would have talked to my father-in-law at a certain time and said, hey, you should do this, my God, we would be in so much more of a better position than we are now because of the Mm -hmm. missed opportunities. And that's what I realized, oh my God, people are doing this with families and it all makes sense. And more people need to do this with more families because the potential is so great Mm -hmm. and there are so many missed opportunities. And that's when I meet families who have a business and they don't want to start to have the discussions and they think they can kick the can down the road and they always think they have more time than they expect. And they think that they can delay this. It frustrates the heck out of me Mm -hmm. because I know that the the most important thing is is to get started to have the conversations amongst the family members. And when I see people delaying it, I I again see those missed opportunities. Yeah, okay. So it's really a mixture of of your own experience, of your passion to, to, you know, spread the word, help others and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay, that's interesting. And, and, and I mean, you're not only just an advisor or a coach in that field, but you also, uh, you've written two books. Uh, I mean, that's an entire different story. What, what, what drove you to write two books? I mean, most people don't even manage one, including myself so far. Well, so the first, the first book I wrote, it came out in 2014. Uh, it's called Shift Your Family Business. And this was the unconventional method of entering a new field and writing a book right off the bat. Normally, people will work in a field for a while, and then once they've accumulated certain knowledge, they'll write a book. I did it backwards because essentially I was – so as someone who was running a family office for a couple of decades, um, people who work in family offices will understand that most of those people like to lay low and have a very low profile – Because when you're managing money, everyone wants to be your friend and everyone wants to pitch you things and everyone thinks they have a great investment that you need to see and evaluate and should be investing in. And so I had been a very low, low, low key person in in the world of family business and family investments. And then all of a sudden here I was saying, hey, wait, I want people to hire me. So I needed to establish a profile and I needed to establish at least a base of some expertise of what my message was. Mm -hmm. And the message was shift your family business. And the subtitle of that book was stop working in your family business, start working on your business family. So there's two elements there. There's the old working in your business versus working on. That's been written about in other books. And then there's the whole shift from being a family business Mm -hmm. to being a business family. And the person that I had, the type of person I had in mind when I wrote this book was someone like my father or my father-in-law who's running a business into their 50s and 60s and then gets to the point where, you know what, I got to stop worrying about this business and figure out, like, let's not worry only about making the pie bigger. Let's figure out what the pie is for and how, who's going to take care of the pie or how are we going to divide the pie afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I've seen too many stories of of people who have put off that decision too long. And so that book was an invitation for people to take a step-by-step process to begin to talk about this stuff with their family members, to get help, to invest the time, all that. So I did that at the time to establish a book as kind of a calling card. Mm -hmm. And and at the same time to also learn the trade, if you like. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Around the same time, I started to hear about something called Bowen Family Systems Theory, which mm -hmm. comes from uh, Dr. Murray Bowen, who was an American psychiatrist back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And he had these theories about family systems. Mm -hmm. And in my Family Enterprise Advisor program, we had learned a bit about the family is a system, uh, but not really enough to, for me to feel comfortable that I understood it. And so as I completed that program and I started to hear about Bowen Family Systems Theory, I got curious about it because it seemed that everyone who had heard about it and said, oh, if you're working with business families and, and wealthy families, it's really important to understand this Bowen stuff. So I said to myself, okay, well, I'm going to go to Amazon and I'm going to look for a book that's going to explain to me why this Bowen Family Systems Theory is good to know for people who work with families. And I did not find such a book. There, mm. there were books about Bowen theory. The world of Bowen theory is dominated by people who are therapists. They are social workers. And there are lots of clergy. There's priests and rabbis and ministers. And very few of the people in the Bowen world are in the industry of wealth transition. So I realized now why there was no book, because it's, it's just okay. a small minority. Yeah. But I was a little bit frustrated by not finding the book. So I instead enrolled in a couple of Bowen training programs over the following four years because I decided that that book was something that needed to be written. Mm -hmm. Nobody else was going to write it. Well, by golly, maybe I had to do it. And so that's what I've done. <laughs> and so Interdependent Wealth came out in uh, late June this year. Okay, that's great. I mean, just in a nutshell, I mean, I don't know whether it's possible, but can you in, in one or two sentences explain what, what the Bowen theory is all about or the, the systems theory? I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it as quickly <laughs> as I can. So the, the family is a system is all about the fact that it's not so much the people in the family, it's the relationships between the people that are important, yeah. and all the relationships between the siblings, between the parents and the siblings, all the interesting stuff when you start to work with a family is, is usually hidden in the relationships between the different people. And if you can understand the relationships, it's more important than understanding the individuals. Okay. And so people who work with families to, to learn to see the big picture, see the system of how the parts interrelate with each other and how everyone is interdependent with each other. <clears throat> When you change one person in the system, it has corresponding changes to others. So it is, it is a system. Yeah. And, and, and Bowen was, was trying to advance the theory that human behavior is actually a lot more predictable than we realize mm -hmm. that If you understand typical relationships in families, that you'll see something in one family, you will see similar things in other families because a lot of these things come from, from nature and they are naturally part of who we are and how we interact with each other. Yeah. And so when you work with families on sensitive subjects like their wealth and transitions, uh, I can tell you that having studied this has helped me to see things that I otherwise would not have seen. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it comes back to understanding how a tribe works, right? Well, yes, ab absolutely. So all, all of this comes from how man has evolved. And, and there's a lot of things that go back generations and generations that your great, yeah. great, great, great grandparents did that you have no idea who that person was. But some of the things you did this morning yeah. come directly from the fact that that person used to do those things you know, a few hundred years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. So, so essentially, it's a system to help you understand the dynamics um, in families, and to uh, well, I suppose, diagnose uh, them, and then to help them to uh, to manage that process of transition, uh, wealth transition. Yes, and 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 there are once you see things that you didn't, ex- you know, you otherwise wouldn't have seen. Yeah. It offers a new perspective as a coach, as a facilitator to, you know, point those things out to the family that maybe doesn't recognize them themselves. But yes, when once you see certain things in a relationship and you are skilled in, in pointing that out to the family so that they can see it and then deal with it, mm-hmm. you're much further ahead than someone who just says, okay, here's a shareholder agreement. You all should sign it and then everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah. Because that doesn't typically work very well. Yeah, yeah. well, it may work in the moment, but uh, it's typically not a long-term solution, is it? Correct. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And, and, and why do you think is the Bowen approach, um, I mean, why is it particularly interesting versus any other approach that, that there is? Well, there, there are other... So, so the, the cover of the book talks about family systems theory, and I speak only about Bowen family systems theory because that's the version that I studied. There are other people who had their own family systems theory that I know other practitioners have studied uh, people with different names that have their own versions of yeah. theory. Yeah. If, if that works for you, great. Uh, this is the one that I happen to grasp. Mm-hmm. I think that anyone who takes a systems approach to a family that looks at the family, you know, from the 30,000 foot view and sees how the people interrelate with each other will have an advantage over anyone who just walks in there and just looks at everybody as an individual. Yeah. So whether it's Bowen family systems or any other systems theory, yeah. there are reasons why a lot of the people who work, who are quote unquote, my competitors in the space are doctor so-and-so PhD and they're psychologists because there's, when you're working with family dynamics, um, it's important to, to have some training and understanding the interrelationships with people. Yeah. Having said that, I, I, I'm not Dr. Steve Legler PhD and, I'm, and, and part of me is glad that I'm not because I also know that when you walk into a family system and I, if I picture someone like my father would have, if someone would have gone to my father many years ago and said, oh, here's this person you should speak to to deal with your family, and he would have seen it was Dr. So-and-so, PhD, my father would have said, we're not crazy. We don't need a crazy. <laughs> right? So, so in some ways, like my business card says MBA and CFA, these are all nice business circle things. So I can go in and I can talk business with people, even yeah. though really I'm more interested in the family. Yeah. You, you're perceived as a peer rather than than uh, I don't know some some top down teacher. Well, yeah, people don't like to have someone who's going to come and you know try to diagnose them and understand them and yeah. all this. I, yeah. I think it's easier to walk in as as a business consultant who then ends up being able to help them with the family stuff. Then I know there's other people who are just psychologists and and they don't understand. For example, the difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars. Yeah. You will not be able to have the credibility with the family if you don't have at least some minimum amount 
of business understanding and financial acting. So, yeah. Well, I guess there's, you know, there, there's, there's, uh, uh, each approach or each background has, has, have, has their uh, strengths, but, uh, you know, you can't have everything, but I, I agree. I mean, there needs to be a balance of skills and knowledge, uh, in order to make it work. Um, and, yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, you, you obviously, um, you're a strong believer in, in systematically preparing wealth transition, in systematically uh, approaching family governments. And I, I, I think you have, uh, you know, found a, a very good and solid approach uh, to get there. But um, what, what strikes me is that on the other end of the scale, there are still so many families who um, who, who fail at transitioning their wealth who is at, or at establishing proper governance. And wh why do you think that is? Because they don't put any thought in it or, or what's the reason? Um, I think the biggest reason is it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work that has to mm -hmm. be done. Mm -hmm. um, it takes continuous effort. It takes leadership. It takes time. And all that time that people who do this, who manage to transition wealth from the third to the fourth to the fifth generation, those families have all put in the time. And so they typically understand what's involved and understand the benefits of spending the time. The, the hardest parts are going from the first to the second generation. So yeah. you'll typically have a founder who made a lot of money. Mm -hmm thinks that he or she, typically he, thinks they know everything, thinks yeah. they will live forever. And so they don't get started. They love to tell people what to do because they're very smart and they have proof of it because they made a lot of money. So they must be very smart. So if everyone yeah. listened to them, they would continue to benefit from his wisdom. And then they put in, they put in rules that will outlast their lifetime. And then after they're gone, there are... <clears throat> who are left with those rules don't get along with those rules because they had zero to say in what those rules would be. Mm -hmm. and so then things will typically fall apart. Mm -hmm. So the, it's, it's, I, I make the uh, analogy to uh, driving a car with a standard transit transmission, getting out of first gear into second is the hardest. That's where you see people are learning how to drive and the car stalls. It's always from first to second. Going yeah. from second to third, you got more leeway going to third to fourth. It's no problem. But from first generation to second is the most difficult because there's no pattern to follow of, oh, well, this is how I, I received the wealth from my generation before in this way. So I've learned this and I will make it even better when I go from the second to the third. When you're the first generation and you made the wealth, well, by golly, I am really smart. I made all this money. And my kids love me and respect me, so they're going to do whatever I tell them to do. And that attitude is still far too pervasive. There are some, there's a small number that get it and understand and, and want to have their children succeed on their own terms and not be told, you will take over my business when you are older. So I kind of understand that part from a front row seat. Yeah. And so I've, I've seen that and... It's a question of attitude, of, of realizing there's a point where I recognize I'm not going to live forever. And what is the best thing I can do for my family so that they will be prepared for when I'm not here? And that, those are difficult conversations to have that people will typically want to put off as long as possible. 
Mm. And uh, sometimes they put them off too long and then it is too late. Yeah, well, because then things happen automatically without, you know, then the, the, the nobody's asked. It just happens and that's it. Well, that's what I say. When you yeah. start early, when you start the discussions early, your number of choices of things you can do is very, yeah. very wide and will never be wider. Yeah. And as you, as the years come off the calendar, your options on what you can do get narrower and narrower. And then it's as very- you... You know, when you hear about the stories about the lawyer rushing to the hospital to get some some things signed by the guy yeah. in the hospital, when yeah. you're not sure he's going to still be able to sign the paper tomorrow, yeah. yes. what are your options at that point? Yeah, They're very true, very limited. true. Yeah, I mean, well, what still beats me though is that that you know the 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 shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves proverb and, and shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations uh, proverb is 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 still very much true today, isn't it? And and it's it's something where you would think that um, I mean it's been around for for ages and and you would think that that you know we should know better by now. So why why is it still so uh, true and and active and alive uh, these days? Some of us do know better, and and um, there's a difference. And, and just on that whole point, it's been around forever for 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 centuries, and it's yeah. been around in cultures all around the world so it's not just some specific thing Uh, but knowing better and doing better are not the same thing and you can ask anyone who you know they're 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 still smoking even though they know that cigarettes will kill you or they're still drinking too much or eating too much even though they know Um, there's things that you know and then there's things that you do and sometimes there's too long of a delay between when you start to take the action. And the other thing is, it's not a matter. So if I'm smoking and I realize I need to quit, there's only one person. I quit smoking. But somebody who says, okay, wait, now we're going to start to deal with this transition. Well, yes, obviously you need some leadership. You need some buy-in from the top. But you also need to have all the other people willing to play along. And if you haven't done the work all along as a parent, it becomes very difficult to do the business. I always say most, many of the problems we see in family businesses are not business problems. They're really yeah. parent problems. Yeah. I have colleagues who have told me stories about they get a call from some guy who says, can you please come and fix my kids? And the kids <laughs> are 20s and their 30s. Yeah. And it's like, well, I think that ship has sailed, yes. but let's see what we can do. And maybe if you're willing to make some changes now, you and your kids can get on the same page on certain things. But oftentimes the kids that need to be fixed are less of the problem than the guy who thinks that the kids need to be fixed. Yeah. Would you agree in saying that that it's uh, that people underestimate the complexity complexity of the of the of the task at hand or is it more ignorance well so there's the first part of saying okay we got to get started and then and then there's a bit of fear because it sometimes seems bigger than than they expect or they know it's going to bring up conversations that are uncomfortable Uh, but then the the complexity of realizing that every single person will be looking at whatever's proposed from their own lens. Mm, And 
if you're trying to satisfy the demands, that's probably not the best choice of words to make it sound like this is something you should do. But, but as the parents, you need to create a plan that works for the people who you're making the plan for. Yeah. And, and so too many people will go in the, in the current generation that's running things, the parents, they will go to see one or two of their advisors, their accountant or their lawyer, and they say, okay, we need to prepare this stuff. And they'll go and ask that person, what should we do? Those professionals will be only too happy to comply and say, oh, I did just such an agreement last week for Joe Blow down the street. Let me pull it off the shelf. And you probably need exactly the same thing as him. And so we'll change the front page and put your name on it. We'll change the back page and put a different signature page. And off you go. And you don't have to worry about this anymore. Your wealth transition is taken care of. Hmm. And people then do that because some professional who's the best in town and charges dollars hmm. an hour told them that that's what they need to do. Only later do they realize that there's a lot more that needed to be done and needs to be done. Hmm. Uh, first off, getting the people for whom the plan was written, the beneficiaries in whatever plan, if they don't know what's in there and they had no say in how it is structured, they are, they're, there are guaranteed to be some unpleasant surprises that will come out of that. Mm. I think it often also comes from, from um, the, the, the way that people look at this and they often treat it as, as a single event. And it's not really a single event, is it? It's more of a long-term process that leads to a single event but essentially it's, it's, it's a long-term process. So, uh, and you can't just fix that with one document. It is a process. It is not an event. Uh, the, the event is in a legal sense where ownership goes from one person to another yeah. person after something happens. That part is an event. But, yes. but there are other transitions that could have and should have been taken care of that are, that are processes, that the chain, like, getting the, the management and the leadership and the decision-making, especially in an operating business, when, okay, someone's going to retire as the president, they become the chairman, someone else comes in as the president, the chairman retains certain responsibilities for a while until they are phased out. And those things can and should take at least five years in a, in a good world and hopefully longer, maybe even 10. Yeah. And so if, if someone says, I want to be completely out by the time I'm 75, well, when you're 65, you should already be putting some kind of a plan into place because the people who are going to take that place need time to learn, need time to figure out how they are going to work together, how they are going to manage things, how they are going to make decisions together. Uh, the top-down world of the one boss who tells everyone what to do works really efficiently sometimes but then when when that person is no longer at the top and their three kids are there well now we typically would have a more democratic decision making process these days although there are still families where those three people will fight to get to see who gets to be the one who has the ultimate decision making mm -hmm. authority thankfully society and, and culture is going in more of a way where there are often co-leaders as siblings which can be more complex but but actually have a lot more staying power if the people if the siblings have learned how to work together yeah um 
but 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 the 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 old story about the 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 one man show is a is a tennis player who goes out there and plays by themselves. But now the next generation, it's a team. It's this is now basketball. They have to learn to pass the ball to each other. And then if it goes to the third generation, and now there's cousins involved, now now it's a football team. And you need to have you know your midfielders and your forwards and your backs, and you need to have everyone working together. And that is not the same as that autocratic leader and the skill sets of what makes someone successful as an autocratic leader, and what makes someone successful as a democratic leader of a group are not the same. And very often, the the patriarch will say, "Well." This son number two or three or whoever it is, is the chip off the old block. He's just like me, so he should take over from me. Well, maybe he's a great golfer, and if he was the boss on his own, he would be great. But maybe if, if his sister would be the better basketball player and pass the ball better, maybe maybe she's a better leader. Yeah, 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 true. But I, I think, you know, it's, it's, um, it is complex to even realize – that it is a process to realize that that the team is growing as you have more kids and um and and to understand the dynamics that are behind that and and i mean often these things are referred to as as uh, family governance which in itself is a term that um i think is more off putting than appealing to most people probably and uh, so so all in all there, there i think there's a big resistance or burden for people to even get started is there anything that that you could suggest that that is there any single most important step that um family a family should take to uh to get the ball rolling yes the short answer is yes good <laughs> um, my first book shift your family business chapter eight the title is governance ugh like <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to deal with governance. Yeah. Governance are processes and structures that make revolution unnecessary. That's yeah. the first line of, of that chapter. I know that people don't like the sound of governance. It sounds like a lot of red tape and a lot of BS that people have to put into place and it scares people off. I get that. I understand that. However, I think people look at it um, the wrong way. And, and they look at the end result of what governance might look like in five or 10 years. And when you're starting, you really need to start with a family meeting. It's a family meeting where the person who's the person or people who are leading the current generation bring together the others and say, okay, We've gotten to the point now where we know we, we're going to have to start to talk about this. We want to start. This is not a one-off meeting. This is the first meeting. Mm -hmm. I even encourage people to call it meeting number zero. This is a meeting to establish the fact that we're going to start having meetings. That's a good one, yes. Say, Let's come back in three months or six months. Here are some of the topics we want to talk about. <laughs> the fact that we own this wealth. We recognize we're not going to live forever and that we'd like most of this stuff to be managed and run and owned by you people. And we know that taking our time on figuring out all the details of that is going to take a while. So we want to have meetings twice a year, three times a year, four times a year, maybe once a year, depending on how much time you have ahead of you. And we want to start to, and these are the people we want to have involved because you're the people that are 
that are the family and we want you. And, and so that could involve just the kids. It could involve their spouses as well. Those are decisions that the family has to make. Mm-hmm. Have a meeting, schedule the next meeting, get together and move the ball down the field slowly but surely and learn how to work together. And the, the governance will come out of that. You mm-hmm. the will then begin to make the rules that they need to make. Some of them will all just be non, you know, they won't record them. If it's a small family and they just decide to say, okay, we're going to meet every so often and not have minutes and an agenda, but just have it informal. That's, that's, that's better than nothing. Yeah. If anyone comes and says, you need to have an agenda, you need to have this, you need to have minutes, you need, you're, that's just scaring the people away more. Mm, yes. Yeah. Get into the process of it to realize what the benefits are of it, of starting to have the meetings. Mm-hmm. Then they start to think about subjects that they want to bring up. And now they have a forum to which they can bring these subjects. And they will have started to develop a process by which they, they either have the same person who's the chair of the meeting, they can rotate the chair to different people, but just start the process of having meetings and setting the date for the next meeting before you leave, get everyone to pull out their calendars, their phones and say, okay, here, let's pick a day. And then everyone is, you're all free on that day. Let's put it on the calendar. And if you have to move it, then you have to find another date and coordinate with everybody else. And that's going to be a pain in the butt. So just make sure you don't, you pick a date that you won't have to move. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And, and as a follow on question from that, I mean, I, I, from personal experience, I know that it can be hard to uh, get everybody on board on this topic and, and what would your advice be to to um, get people excited about this? And also, maybe, um, I mean, what should the should the circle for the meeting be? Even you know, is it just the parents? Is it parents plus kids, or is it you know who, who should be included in the first meeting, for example? Um, so there's a couple of things in in your question. I, I like the question. It. it there's a couple of rules that I, that I have that are always start small mm-hmm. and make the circle bigger. Yeah. I typically start with the parents and the children alone. Yeah. And then ask the children if they think that the spouses should be included. Mm-hmm. But you realize that if your wife comes, then her husband has to be invited too, right? Because sometimes people think only of their own. And so when you make the rules of who's invited, they, they have to be logical rules. Yeah. So if it's the children only, it's the children only. If it's the children and their spouses, well, then it's all of the spouses. Yeah. Now, are some of them married and some are just not married? And now, now there are nuances that the family will have to figure out together. The other thing is there are often people in the family that really don't care and don't want to know about this. And mm-hmm. it's a waste of time. That brings up another rule is everyone is invited. Nobody is forced to come. Mm, yeah you cannot force people to come you invite them they don't want to come you say sorry to hear that you're not coming yeah best uh we'll let you know how it goes and the next time we have one we'll invite you again and hopefully you'll come to that one and then hopefully in the meantime they will have heard from their siblings or someone that hey it was actually pretty good we made some progress we talked about some stuff it wasn't just dad telling us what's going to be Mm-hmm. Now, if it is just dad telling us what it's going to be, maybe some of the people who show up at the first meeting won't want to come to the second one. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, as, as someone I work with said, there's data in there. There's mm-hmm. information in those things. And, and that's why 
it's often important to have an outsider come and facilitate these meetings. Yeah. Everyone seems to be on much better behavior. <clears throat> they act differently when there's a person from the outside there. Mm-hmm. That is something that I do. I know it sounds like I'm selling my services when I do this. And yeah, maybe I am. But but having someone from the outside as an impartial, neutral outsider can can change the conversations to much more productive ones. Mm-hmm. If that person is also skilled in, you know, conflict resolution and facilitation, even better. Um, and the people, if you've talked to people who've had their own meetings with no facilitator, then they've had some with a facilitator, they usually say, oh my God, we should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. As we're actually making a lot more progress now than we as were. Actually, I think in a way it's, it, it's always easier to have somebody else um, dealing with the mechanics and it's difficult to do the mechanics and the content and digest the content yourself. Content and the process are different yeah. things. And if you are asking one of the people who's part of the content that they also have to manage the process yes. and they are torn sometimes and they are not able to participate fully yeah. as, with part of the content. I just did a meeting a couple of weeks ago with someone who had been doing exactly that. She was the most happy person in the room because she didn't have to worry about the flow of the meeting. Yeah. That because she had hired me to come and, and do that for her. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it real. Yeah. And, and what about kids? You mentioned kids, but you said kids and spouses, but not all kids are at the age where they have spouses. What, what, what is the typical age where you should, should start involving kids? Again, that's a family decision. I always typically, I like to err on the side of bringing them in younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're 12 or 14 or whatever age makes sense as a cutoff. Um, but then again, that rule that you make, if you say the kids can come in when they're 16 and you have a 16 year old and you bring them in and then two years later, Your sister's kid who was 14 now turns 16 and they say they want to come. You can't say, well, no, 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 they can't come. Because, yeah. you know, the rule has to be a logical rule. Yeah. Otherwise, it's creating more problems than, yeah. than it's solving. Yeah. yeah. But earlier is better. If, 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 if they can just get into the, into, the, into the groove of understanding, my family has these meetings where we talk about these things. Yeah. I don't necessarily understand them all or participate much, but mm-hmm. I know that going forward, as I've, you know, once once you've been to your fourth or fifth meeting, yeah. you know how it works. And if you have something to say, if the meeting's being run in a way where people, are, everyone is encouraged to participate and people aren't being marginalized, mm-hmm. if that person has something to say, <laughs> they can come up with some of the most brilliant insights that other people didn't see just because... Their, yeah. their, their, their age group yeah yeah okay and on top i suppose what you mentioned earlier is keep the door open for people who may not want to participate in the first one two three how, however many right. oh, so yeah not only keep the door open um they must be invited to every time. yeah 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 even if you think they're they're going to say no you still have to invite them. yeah, yeah they're invited in the same way as everyone else so if you're sending an email to everyone and there's yeah. an attachment with all the details Their, their name doesn't come off that list. Yeah. And if somebody wants to have a conversation with them offline and say, hey, I know you got the invitation. I know you're thinking it's probably a waste of time. We'd really like to have you come. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you can come once, and if you don't like it, don't come next time. That's fine, too. But the door is open. It's, it really needs to be 
matter of fact, but consistent yeah. and, and have them and hopefully eventually they'll show up. Yeah, I think that that's some some really valuable advice. I mean, it's it's some some ground rules to uh, to get that process started. I want to share a, a, a different version of this story, mm -hmm. where once there was a group of siblings that wanted to have the meetings, and they invited, they wanted, and the father said, "No, I don't want to do these meetings." And so uh -huh. the siblings started having their the siblings started having their own meetings. Okay. And after the meetings, the father asked if he could come too. So, <laughs> It, it can work. Yeah. It can work in many different ways. Yeah. And I, I love that story. And mm -hmm. uh, it's probably happened more often than just with that family. Yeah. 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 Interesting. It works in, in, in different uh, directions. Yeah. In, uh, in terms of creating true wealth in the, in the sense of the title of the podcast for yourself via financial wealth and, and impact, I think, you know, it's fair to say you've been quite successful. I mean, you were obviously born into a successful uh, family business, uh, but you've also uh, achieved quite a bit writing your books and helping other families uh, sorting their uh, stuff out. What, what, what do you consider your, your key achievements to date? Wow. Um, my key achievements? <laughs> I've got a lot of diplomas on the wall with, with letters. I got more letters after my name than, than in my name. <laughs> a lot of those were done at times where I was still trying to figure out what I, what I was supposed to do, what I was mm -hmm. meant to do. And really, my biggest achievements have been since I found my calling. Yeah. And as I said, I was, I was running a family office trying to – I was a nobody in this field. Um, six or seven years ago, nobody knew who I was. I, I wasn't even in this field. And now I have become a lot more recognized in different industry groups that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I've written books, I've spoken at conferences, and I've gone from a nobody to a somebody in this space, which, uh, I, and I think I'm only in the early stages. of. I just turned 55. I, I think I have another couple of decades of doing this. Mm -hmm. I want to keep learning. I want to keep teaching. I want to keep facilitating. I want to keep writing. And so I, I'm, I'm still at the beginning of a journey that started late. So I've been trying to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is I have two children that I am immensely proud of. They are university students. Well, actually, mm -hmm. one of them is only starting in, uh, in a couple of months. But they have managed to do really well, and they are um, launching themselves quite well into the world. And I have learned that the best thing that I can do as their father is to stay out of their way. <laughs> I like to think that, as we were talking about earlier, the parenting that people do eventually, you know, comes through. And 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 I don't expect to be someone who is worried about my kids in their twenties because of things that I didn't do when they were younger. Yeah. So far, so good. And I, I'm very proud of them. They managed to get into great schools and I see great things for them. And that, and I've been married for almost 27 years, which is, it, which is an accomplishment in itself these days. So those are the things I'm proud of. And I, and I hope to continue to be a positive uh, resource in this field for many, many years to come. Yeah. And 
would what have been your 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 biggest challenges in in becoming that resource so far and how have you how have you dealt with that or overcome them i love the fact that you threw in the word resource that i had said because there's actually a chapter in 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 my more the the recent book um called how can't i help you because i've tried to banish the word help from most of my vocabulary because to me helping people very often has a one up one down connotation mm -hmm. oh or you let me help you up i am better than you yeah. you need help i will be nice and i will help you and that that screws it up so many times because a lot of people just don't want to be helped yeah so i i purposely use the word resource because that is that is a story that that is talked i talk about in the book uh i was i was doing this bowen theory training and i was working with a bowen coach who's who's fantastic at the bowen center and i was on a zoom call just like this with her and i was telling her that my wife's family was going through some stuff and i wanted to help my wife deal with it and she said to me well what if instead of helping her you just wanted to be a resource for her and I, it, it just mm. hit like a ton of bricks. So I got off that call and this is all detailed in the book. I went to my wife and I said, by the way, remember I was telling you that with your family stuff, I wanted to help you. She said, yeah. I said, well, I don't want to help you anymore. <laughs> oh, she was delighted. Okay. She, looked this, she looked at me with this quizzical look on her face, like waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I said, but if you do need me as a resource for anything, I'll always be there for you. And she just looked at me and, and ever since then, I have really tried to stop talking about helping people. Mm -hmm. And we were talking earlier about the professionals that the families go to, yeah. the lawyers, the accountants, whoever, and they say, help us, we need this. And those people are only too happy to help and say, oh, I have exactly the help you need. And the, the biggest change I have made in myself from the coaching, from the facilitation, from the Bowen family systems theory is to help people figure out their own stuff, to be a resource for them, to be a thinking partner for them, to not come and offer my solution to them, yeah. to work with them on their own solutions, on their own relationships, to help them see what's there, to help them decide what's best for them. So not offering the answer is the hardest thing, yet it's the most important thing. And learning how to, how to get people to talk about things in a way where you can work with them to the point where they are discovering their own <laughs> solution to their own situation, mm -hmm. that's where the gold is. And the hard part is sometimes people say, oh, well, you're a family business expert. You must know the answer. What should we do about this? And my answer is typically, Whatever you guys figure out together is going to be better than it, than the greatest solution I can come up with off the top of my head. Yeah. So let's work on that. Yeah. Because it's bound to be a more sustainable solution. The people for whom the solutions are being derived, if they have nothing to do with the creation of those solutions, the chances of success go so far down, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And if you say, oh, well, we hired these great people and they're really smart and they told us this is what we should do, so this is what we're doing, 
Um, yeah, that's a really nice suit on the rack, but if it doesn't fit the person you're buying it for, it's going to look terrible. Yeah. It really needs to be custom made and that takes time and it brings up difficult conversations. But if you don't do that, you're going to have your difficulties later. Is that something that you had always been aware of or is that something you wish you had known earlier or figured out earlier? Um, there's elements of it that I wish I had figured out earlier. There are some things that come more easily with a bit of gray hair mm -hmm. um, and a little bit more humility and a little bit more training and working with people who have the right attitude and trying things and seeing that, you know what, this is a better way to do things. So whether it's the coaching training, whether it's the um, family systems theory training, I've, in the last five or six years, I've gone through a whole bunch of different learning because, so um, the Strengths Finder profile you've probably heard of, I, I'm one of those that learning is like right at the top. And I've always been someone who is interested in learning and training programs. And I've done more than I, than I can even remember, mm -hmm. but they have been very important in, in making the change within me to figure out for me the best way that I can be of service to people and to families. Mm -hmm. And I, I could tell people what to do. I've, I've managed to almost completely turn that switch off as a reflex. Yeah. And I'm much more interested in working with people to, to develop their own solutions. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that that what really what really makes a, a a good coach at the end of the day, isn't it? They 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 don't provide the solution, but they make people think to the degree that they find their own solutions. Absolutely. And and it's even more complex, of course, within a family system because you've got more than one person involved. Yes, and 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 it's really interesting. I, I work with one family where I'm actually I work as a coach with the four rising generation siblings. Mm -hmm. I work as a facilitator, so that's one-on-one -on -one coaching. <clears throat> I work with them as a facilitator of their group meetings of just the four of them. And then I also participate as an observer with their family council meetings where they are running the meetings with their parents, but I'm there as an observer. And so I, I get to play the different roles, but I also understand the different roles and that, that in different situations, I am wearing a different hat and yeah. using different techniques and skills mm -hmm. and remain objective and, and let let them take care of the content and I worry about process. Yeah, yeah, great. Now, in, in, in terms of leaving your own legacy and thinking about your own succession, how, how would you say have you uh, fared so far? I mean, you talked about your children and your family office and... It's... It's a work in progress. So um, there are certain parts of transitions that you can really only do after a generation that was there is no longer around. So what I'm saying is that because my children's grandparents on both sides are still, some of them are still alive, mm -hmm. there is a limit to what I can do. Mm -hmm. And what any parent can do. Yeah, yeah. And with longer life expectancies these days, that complicates things sometimes. So if yes. my kid came to me and said, Dad, can you tell me what's... And, and I, 
I can't answer those questions completely because I'm not yet in control of all the levers and all the buttons that I expect to be one day in control of. And at that time, I will be able to put things in place and I will consult with my children as to how, what is the best way to do it. Yeah. And my wife is in a similar situation. So yeah. we're unfortunately hamstrung in in having things that were done before us that we are still waiting for the denouement of those things before we can do certain things. Yeah, so in the meantime, preparing my children to, you know, be independent and to figure their own stuff out uh, has been the best thing I could do for them. Yeah. And in terms of my legacy, I have, you know, I've written books, but I've also written uh, over 300 blogs that are on my website every week. Mm -hmm. And I don't, know who's ever going to read those many years from now but i would imagine that if 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 some grandchildren someday would see that grandpa wrote this that that's that's part of my legacy yeah um i'm involved in an industry that is still very much you know getting its feet and and moving forward i like to think i'm part of you know the wave that's moving it to better and stronger places and to be better known and for people to really realize the power of working with the families on their family stuff and not just the structures. Uh, I like to think I'm part of that and I want to continue to be part of that. And, and I hope that that's part of my legacy. Yeah. 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 Well, I think you're well on the way. So um, <laughs> sounds great. And, and, but is, is it, is it, I mean, is leaving a legacy, is that important for you? Or in other words, also maybe, What is, what is true wealth for you? I mean, in, in this podcast, we talk about true wealth in a sense of, you know, succession, legacy, impact, purpose, and also a bit of financial wealth. But I think in the context of this, it, it's, it's not the most important parameter. I mentioned something in one of the questions you had sent me to prepare for this. Um, and it's something that I wrote a blog about a couple of years ago. And it's about legacy. It's, it's, it's as someone put it, it's, it's like a legacy equation. And it, it's very simple. It's people plus assets equals legacy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think I got a lot of assets, so therefore I'm going to have a legacy. A lot mm -hmm. of people made a lot of money and say, wow, I made all this money. This is going to be my legacy. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got news for you. If you don't have people in your family who are going to tend to this legacy after you're gone, yeah. it's not going to last very long. Yeah. So if you think I've got a zillion dollars, I treat my kids like crap, but I'm going to have a legacy. Um, I got news for you. Mm. If you have a small amount of money, but you treat your kids well and you want to donate it to a hospital or, or have a scholarship at the school or whatever, that legacy can last a long time when there are people who are willing and proud to do the work to maintain the legacy. Yeah. It's a lot more about the people yeah. and how treat those people while you're still alive so that they are willing then to do the work after you're gone. But it's a lot more about the people that are going to maintain the legacy than, than the size of the pile of assets that you have. Yeah. As th that isn't going to be enough. Yeah. 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 That's great. Great. And is, is, I, I, I think you mentioned it, but is that what, what do you want to be remembered for? Is it your, your work in this field? Uh, my work in this field for the people in this field and for my kids 
that uh, I did the best job I could for them and that, that hopefully they're proud of, of where they came from and they're proud of their parents and, and mm. pass the stories on. I don't think I'm, I don't know, sometimes people who want to make, have a big legacy, there's a little bit of a selfish element that, yeah. that shy away from. Yeah. I, I'm definitely one of those people. Mm. So if, if, if my work can stand on its own as, as being important in this area, that will be a, a fantastic reward. Yeah. And if my kids go on to have uh, happy and productive lives based on the good start that they managed to get from my wife and I, uh, where we had a bit of a head start over other families because of where we were born, but we also don't want to be the ones who screw up that yeah. thing actually have kids that do better than us. Um, and, and that's important to me and, and so far so good. And I, I just hope it continues. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, you, you, you mentioned that you, uh, you see yourself to be on a, on a journey, uh, in terms of being the, the mentor coach and advisor, uh, for, to families. Um, do you think, or where do you think there's, there's room for development improvement or in other words, where do you still want to go? Is there a vision you have, or is it just something that you, that, you know, you're just going to crack on with it and, and see where it leads you to? Ideally, I'd, I'd like to get to the point where I have a select number of families for, for whom I do a lot of work, mm -hmm. uh, where I'm the trusted advisor, the consigliere for, for certain families. Yeah, um, That is my goal because that's possibly the, the, the simplest structure of being able to work a certain number of hours per month for yeah. a number of clients that would still allow me the freedom to go to conferences and write books and 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 teach and things like that so mm -hmm. so the ideal is to do more of working with a whole family right now I'm working with a couple of families I'd like to increase that mm -hmm. uh, I've also been doing my coaching certification for my individual coaching and because I, I wanted to up my one-on-one -on -one coaching game And that is also becoming a much more interesting alternative of, of as things go forward. So mm -hmm. I work now with some clients where I don't work with the family. I just work with one person who works in a family business yeah. and, and try to help those people with their relationships with the other family members, yeah. which has been a really interesting new angle I've, I've been starting on recently and that I hope to continue as well. Okay. Okay. Is, is there anything that is missing or anything that, that would or could be really helpful uh, to you? I'm, I mean, I'm just asking because someone, some of our listeners may you know, listen to it and, and uh, say, hey, uh, I might be able to provide that or help you or be a resource for you. Um, wow. The thing I'm missing most is... Um, Families that are ready mm. and would mm -hmm. need someone like me to yeah. be used to me. I meet a lot of families. Most of them aren't ready. Yeah. So they can't afford someone because they're, you know, uh, un unfortunately, I'm, I'm kind of limited to, you might want to call them ultra-wealthy families. Mm -hmm. So my niche is quite small. 
Yeah. Um, but that's also by choice. I, I, I think that that's where I can add value the most. Yeah. There are other people that can, that are much better equipped to service, um, families at a certain level of wealth better than me. Mm -hmm. uh, there are certain families that get more complex when there's <clears throat> more heroes and there's more people. And that's where I can add value the best. Yeah. 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 Understood. Okay. Well, um, where can people find you? How can they contact you? The, the good news is my name is not that common. Steve Legler, L E G L E R. If you Google me, yeah. And you put my name and you add family business or family wealth or something, you you should come up with my with my website or my LinkedIn page or both, which are both good places to go. Mm -hmm. On my website, uh, my main website is called shiftyourfamilybusiness.com. That was mm -hmm. the title of my first book, shiftyourfamilybusiness.com. Yeah. Uh, I have hundreds of blogs that I've written. There's some white papers. There's some videos I've done. There's links to buy the books. And if people want to hit me up on LinkedIn, I will accept their, their uh, invitations for sure. And uh, if they want to set up a free call to just talk about family business, I'm always open for that. There's a, there's a place on my website to, to, book, a, to book an appointment mm -hmm. to do that. I'll send them a Zoom link and we'll have a discussion. I always love to talk about family business. And then if we determine that I can be of service to them, we'll work that out over time. But it's, a, it's not a sales pitch. It's let's talk about what your family situation is and see if there's a way that I can be a resource for you. Great. Great. Thank you. And then as a, as a sort of very last question to, uh, to round up our conversation, um, if there was one thing and one thing only that you could change about our planet, our society or the world we live in, what would that be? Oh, the whole planet? <laughs> The whole society, not not families, and oh wow, um, there's way too much hate in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's too much hate and jealousy, and and there, a lot of it is very wasteful and 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 unfortunate. I was talking about missed opportunities before. I think that a lot of people spend way too much time and effort on things that aren't productive yeah. and are, are more focused on tearing other people down instead of building them up. Yeah. And so I don't know what I would say when I wave the magic wand, but it, it would probably be in that area. Yeah. 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 I think that's absolutely We're true. Raising kids in this world and looking at some of the things that are going on. Um, it's a little bit scary sometimes and, Yeah. I hope that, that my kids and your kids don't ever have to deal with incidents like we've seen happening. Yeah. And, and if there was a way to, to, to make that probability go down to zero, I would be all in for it. Yeah, great, great. I fully agree with that. Um, Steve, thank you so much. Um, I mean, we could talk 
forever i think um but i think you know we, we've we've gone over an hour now so i th- i think you know for the purposes of this podcast and of this episode i think we're we're more or less done but i would really love to have you back on the show at some point and i'm sure we can we can dig in deeper into some of the topics that are in your books and 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 some of your work that you're doing so uh you know i i, I hope you keep up your your work and uh we can we can have a chat again sometime soon i would I would love to do this again. I, I am very comfortable doing this. I love to talk about this work. Uh, I will continue. I, I, I've written a blog every week for like 300-something weeks in a row. I don't know when I'm going to stop. I don't plan on stopping because I don't consider it work. Yeah. And people say, how do you come up with topics? And I say, I write one blog a week, and I typically come up with two topics a week. So I'm yeah. not worried about running out. So I'm going to yeah. keep doing that try to keep things relevant and in front of people and in a conversational way to talk about what's important that families uh, need to be doing, should be doing, could be doing, but probably aren't doing enough of. If I can inspire them to give them ideas to get them started, then uh, I will consider it a job well done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I fully agree. And I, I think you're doing a great job at, at, ma- at making things that are that, that can actually sound very complex and difficult, sound doable, achievable. And, and you know, I, I think you have a great way of, of inspiring and motivating people to actually start thinking about this more actively and maybe even start getting things done. I hope so. Yeah. So thanks again, Steve. Uh, it was great to talk to you. Take care. And I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you for listening to the True Wealth Project podcast. If you like this episode, please do not forget to rate us on iTunes. You are, of course, also welcome to write a review if you like. Also, make sure you never miss an episode in the future by joining the True Wealth community. Just follow the link in the description and sign up at no cost. We promise not to spam you. Thank you.